Hello, this is E. Michael Jones, the editor of Culture Wars magazine, and today we're going to have another uh, Culture Wars discussion, and this one is going to be about one of the oldest culture wars in human history, namely the culture war between East and West, uh, specifically the Eastern and Western part of the Roman Empire, and more specifically the dividing line which goes right through the Balkans, uh, uh, dividing that uh, one world from the other. Uh, joining us in this discussion, we have uh, Tony Catanar, Anton Catanar, uh, Vintner Extraordinaire from the island of Kirk, representing the Croatian West, and Alexander Todorovic, uh, a filmmaker uh, from, uh, who, uh, from Serbia, uh, who will be representing the orthodox side of this uh, discussion. And of course, uh, me, the man in the middle, uh, uh, I'd like to begin by talking about uh, what I see as the historical background here. Uh, I've already mentioned part of it, we're talking about the Roman Empire, the division in the Roman Empire between the East, uh, which spoke Greek, and the West, which spoke Latin. This led uh, to a, a more uh, a, a philosophical divide as well, because the Eastern Church was more interested in philosophy. Obviously, the Greek philosophers had had a huge impact on the entire Roman world, uh, but the Roman or Latin side was more interested in law, jurisprudence, uh, uh, a, a, a preoccupation which found final expression with uh, Vico, John Battista Vico, and his whole theory of human history which was a repudiation of Cartesian uh, pseudoscientism. One of the first uh, expressions of this conflict was the debate over the Trinity, uh, and specific, uh, specifically the, uh, the Arian crisis, uh, where Arius uh, uh, decided that uh, the second person of the Trinity was someone uh, uh, who was not at a certain point because he was the son, the father, obviously the father precedes the son, the son, there was a time when the son was not, if there was a time when the son was not, then he was a creature, he was not God, and this led to all sorts of uh, powerful implications. Uh, this was a debate that was carried on in Greek. Uh, the Latin fathers had basically no contribution to make to this discussion because they didn't speak Greek. And the discussion revolved around sophisticated, uh, 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 a sophisticated understanding of the Greek language, a sophisticated enough so that you could tell the difference between the term homoousion, one in being, and homoousion, which is like in being. Sophisticated discussions that could only take place in Greek. Okay, this uh, led to a kind of division here. The division found its culmination in 1025 when uh, the Roman pontiff excommunicated the uh, patriarch of Constantinople and he retaliated by doing the same. This division uh, uh, came to an end uh, in uh, 1439 with the Council of Florence uh, at this point, uh, Islam was knocking at the door of Constantinople. The Patriarch needed support from the West, he needed armies, and he sent a group of people there, a uh, delegation there, to say basically make peace on no uncertain terms. Now, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in the middle of a book on aesthetics, 
and part of the part of the the issue here in aesthetics was Greek models, and I'm talking about Italy here. Uh, the Greek model in painting being the icon, uh, or, but the Greek model in general being uh, what we would call Platonic philosophy. The Platonic philosophy of basically the separated form, the realm of forms, uh, off somewhere. Aristotle asked where it was. Plato couldn't answer that question. Uh, it had a crippling effect on the development of art uh, in the West. Uh, Vasari's History of the Artist talks about um, Giotto as the man who broke with the Greeks. He, Vasari forever talks about the Greeks, and he always talks about it in some type of uh, negative and pejorative sense as the group of people that remained uh, imprisoned in, in, these, in these, what he would consider outmoded forms, and therefore inhibited uh, the development of art in Italy. Uh, Giotto had to break with these forms. And so you had uh, this dichotomy between the East that sort of remained faithful to traditions but ended up kind of being stifled by them, or the West where you were had this adventurous spirit and you broke with them, but then you ran the danger of, of losing the form. Uh, you ran the danger of decadence, uh, the form disappearing, getting lost in innovation. And uh, getting Andy Warhol. Right, and and so the the as I said, the culmination of this came in 1439. I've we've already talked about that. The Council of Florence resolved these issues, uh, and then uh, went uh, the the emissaries were sent back, and the the Orthodox people uh, rejected uh, the solution, and uh, as a result, it never it never came into it never uh, came into effect, and so uh, Cardinal Bessarion was so upset, he came back, uh, came at, uh, converted to Catholicism and uh, uh, became a, a cardinal in the Catholic Church. The other, the other thing I'd like to emphasize here is that th this was, this Council of Florence was in many ways the, the entry point of, the re-entry point of paganism into European culture. I'm talking specifically about George Gamistos, who was a member of the entourage, the Orthodox entourage of the Council of Florence, uh, met with uh, Cosimo de' Medici, who was man, the man, the money man, the man who sponsored the conference, the man who wanted to have it in Florence, uh, and told him about the Hermetic Corpus, uh, uh, the basically the decadent, uh, my term, uh, legacy of Neoplatonism that had degenerated into magic. Uh, by the time of uh, Julian the Apostate. Julian the Apostate tried to make that magic a, a, as a return of paganism. This uh, had, had a bad effect, uh, in my humble opinion, uh, on, on the West. Uh, it came to be known as the Renaissance, and how can we talk about the Renaissance as a bad effect? But it injected magic into the bloodstream, uh, magic and the occult and uh, the hermetic tradition into the bloodstream of the uh, West, uh, where it, it, uh, it flourished, uh, went into uh, uh, abatement, and then flourished again up to the point where George Soros now calls finance magic uh, based on that type of thing. So with that as the background, I'd like to begin the discussion here by uh, your take. So let's begin with Alexander about uh, his take on the uh, one of the great culture wars of history, the Orthodox uh, Catholic split. 
Well, just to add briefly uh, about your uh, observations on the aesthetics of the Orthodox and Western art. Uh, there was also another, aside from Giorgio Vasari, who disliked Byzantine arts, there are some other voices, like, for example, uh, 19th century philosopher, late 19th century, early 20th, I think, uh, Paul Pavle Florensky, Paul Florensky, who made distinction between the Western and Eastern church art in terms of um, Eastern art emphasizes the saint, the model, the Jesus Christ. Therefore, it doesn't need the background or much of the background. Uh, usually it's the golden background. Right, Sometimes gold as the background of the icon, yeah. yes, yes. So gold is a divine substance uh, in his mind and in the mind also many other philosophers like Hungarian philosopher Bela Hamvash, who wrote a beautiful tractate on the gold. That's something good to read. He wrote yeah. something about the wine, too. Yeah, 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 tractate on wine. Right, right, that's an, another good one. Yeah, true. And Florensky's point of view was that actually uh, Byzantine art and Orthodox art wanted to focus on the saints, on the teaching on the church, while the Western uh, uh, art with the appearance of Cimabue and then Giotto and then Masaccio who created a depth of space uh, were more focused into, how should I put it, more entertaining the my, masses. My mises, my mises. My mises, exactly, yeah, my mises. It's a Greek term, a Greek term yeah, I know. from Aristotle. Yeah, 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 mimesa, my mises. But also it had a certain um, entertaining character. So the people who come to church will say, wow. Right. You see the building, you see the layers of people. Right. First background, second background, third background. So these are two basically uh, approaches to, to the art. One was more ascetic, the Byzantine was more ascetic and they stayed uh, loyal to it pretty much until today. And the other was um, more, how should I put it, propagandistic. Well, I would call Inviting, not in a bad way necessarily. Okay, let, let, me, let me just intervene here. Inviting people to arrange the faith, and that culminated right. in the art of Baroque. Right. Let me, let me just get, take the, the orthodox point of view here, I think, by saying that uh, Michelangelo, in Michelangelo, uh -huh. in the Sistine Chapel, uh, art got out of control. It got out of control, yeah. according to the cardinals of the Catholic Cardinal Bellarmine, uh, who was uh, influential at the Council of Trent, felt that the Sistine Chapel was completely inappropriate as a, a place of worship. First of all, because of the nudity. Uh, he didn't have anything against nudity per se. Uh, he admired Titian's portrait of uh, uh, Mary Magdalene, even though she was bare-breasted because she had been crying. It, it was an, an instrument aiding devotion. Okay, the realism aided devotion, but here it was completely out of uh, place because it was a place of worship, for one thing, nudity is out of place. But secondly, because you had pagan figures like Charon, 
uh, that, uh, you know, he's, he's got this big oar in his hand and he's taking souls across the river Styx. Well, what part of the gospel is that from? So the, the, right. the, the problem, uh, as I see it, is that the, the, uh, the, the exuberance of Italian art and this commitment to mimesis led to problems and it had to be reined in. Okay, if it wasn't reined in, it got out of control. Okay. Uh, uh, allow me to say a word or two before Tony uh, starts to, to talk, to explain his views. I had a chance to see the Sixteen Chapel in 2014. I spent a lot of time, and since I'm a little bit of the art connoisseur, I was also studying art history for several years and always was interested in art history. I think that Sixteen Chapel is the most subversive a piece of art in the history of humankind. Well, well there were cardinals, cardinals who would agree with you. Yeah, well, but comparing to the taste, comparing to the morality of the epoch, it is, you can see overtly homosexual messages even nowadays. Uh, first, uh, the, the, all the guys, all, all the people from the Old Testament were naked. And then the Pope insisted that they put, uh, they had the ropes over their bodies. But nonetheless, the position of the bodies suggests an overt homosexuality, which shouldn't surprise us because we know that Michelangelo, just as Leonardo, was a homosexual, you know. And no, I was no. stunned. Uh, on, the, on the one hand, you see a mastery, a beauty, of his art, and on the other hand, you see that very uh, subversive idea. I was carefully looking the ceiling, position of the human bodies, like a, a man of a, a hand of a one person from the Old Testament would uh, he would raise the hand, and that hand will have its direction straight to the buttocks of the next figure. I'm kidding you not. Yeah. That, 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 okay, uh, let's, 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 let's hear from I, Tony I now. Okay. I didn't have any intention to offense Catholics. Or, no, no, uh, not, no you're, there place. are cardinals who feel the same way you did. That, just what I saw. It was an obvious, uh, a big dispute at the time of the Council of Trent yeah. over the Sistine Chapel. So, Tony, what do you think? Yeah, I've been there. I, I did not see those. The, I did not. The, the, those allusions did not uh, catch the eye. Well, I, I wanted to comment about this uh, this Eastern art, where it, it's very formal, and uh, it's it's formal and it's imperial in a sense. It's because uh, where should I start? Uh, you started with the, with the churches, but the the churches have a. a, a formative years of the, let's say, the Western Church and the Eastern Church are, are very different. Uh, you have the, the Western Church, the Roman Church, uh, that the first four formative centuries, uh, they got out from this, uh, let's say, uh, very complicated split with the Jews. They were persecuted there. And uh, the first, let's say, four centuries uh, of the Roman Church was basically nothing but persecution, and they 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 always they always saw an empire 
as someone that wants to get them, that wants to exterminate them, and that's that's empire is some oppressive force. On the other hand, uh, the city of Constantinople is not founded until the fourth century. In the fourth century, the emperor Constantine has a dream uh, in which he saw he, he sees in a dream a place where he will find he will found a city. The, the 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 city that's worth mentioning in the vicinity is Nicosia, I think. It's some hundred kilometers away from Constantinople. So basically, immediate, immediately when uh, the, the city is founded, and it's immediately in, uh, let's say, the the see of an emperor, and an emperor establishes a church, and the church has nothing of this persecution, nothing of this history. The church is in the in the Hellenic world, so it's immersed in this Greek culture, but it's fourth century. It's not not <laughs> not really Aristotle anymore. It, it's some kind of magic, you know. It's 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 all it is, it's it is. created. Constantine's grandson was Julian the Apostate, and Julian well, the Apostate was influenced by Iamblichus, uh, which is a late Neoplatonist, Neoplatonic figure, but. Yamblichus uh, is magic. It's not. It's not philosophy anymore. Well, what 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 I what I look when I see. I mean, it reminds me uh, this this concept. The emperor uh, founds a church. It's his imperial church, and uh, the the culture it's immersed in is this. Well, the spiritual. It's like, but but it's basically some some magical tool that that's that is used to prop up the empire something like the english had so that's that's my view of the of the founding of the church the the emperor is always like a director and he's he's like a church figure it is, and it, I, the church, I, I, the I church have... did not have this 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 period of being uh, in in opposed to the empire and being uh, in suffering from the hand of the empire i i, I was in uh, uh, st petersburg uh, and the I was saw uh, if you're in St. Petersburg, uh, it looks like a, a Roman uh, classical architecture city because that's the way Peter the Great made it. But the exception is the Church of the Spilled Blood, uh, which is where the Tsar was assassinated. They built the, the church right there. And if you go there and you walk around the church, they have p various plaques, but the plaques are all about uh, battles that Russia uh, fought. Uh, in conquering uh, Kazakhstan, places like that, you know, all, it's it's basically a kind of memorial to to the Russian Empire, and in that sense, it reminded me a lot of England, uh, where they put people like Isaac Newton uh, in their in the cathedral there, uh, uh, even though he didn't believe in the Trinity and was a kind of dubious figure in, in other regards as well. So you obviously Same. have you obviously have that kind of uh, Caesaropapism in in the East. Yes, go ahead, Alexander. Uh, so, well, that, that comes with uh, Peter the Great. Peter the Great was a Freemason. He wasn't a true Christian. There was a certain level of prosecution of the Christians uh, during the Peter Great. He was a progressivist. Uh, and uh, that's not the real core of the Orthodox or Russian Orthodox Christianity, you know. Uh, uh, so much about the Peter. Uh, now we have other churches in other towns, let's say in Moscow, where you know you have very uh, 
very divine, very Christian-oriented frescoes, paintings in, in Serbia too. And by the way, Constantine the Great that you mentioned actually was born in Serbia, on the yeah, territory yeah. of Serbia, in the town of Niš, which is like 200 miles or maybe less south of Belgrade. And we had a 1700-year celebration in 2018 of the proclamation of Christianity or his birth. I forgot which one was the... Um, the, 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 the real reason of that celebration. Uh, but anyways, go ahead. That, that's what I wanted to say for now. Well, to, to spice up, to spice the things up, uh, okay, the, the, the Florentine uh, Council. So uh, I remember from this council. So I, I, my question is if you guys in Serbia remember it, remember it also the same way. So basically, uh, all these these uh, Orthodox nations uh, send their emissaries uh, to to Florence on the council, and you have the the Serb patriarch uh, Nikon. Uh, he kind of wants to attend, but you have these Serb despots. Uh, the name escapes me. It's just a minute. Stefanovic. Isn't Brankovic the despot? No. Stefan, you have the, this guy, the, the patriarch guy, want to want to attend this this big uh, this big uh, basically ecumenical council because you have both sides present, and then the despot says, well, if you go there, uh, I'll remove the head uh, of your body. So he kind of he wishes to keep his head on its place, so he does not go. And yeah, so I basically, uh, when all the other princes. Uh, see what the Serb despot has done. They do the same. They revoke. Uh, they revoke like the the the, uh, the licenses from their patriarchs and the uh, whole thing that was uh, that was settled and, and that was achieved on the council uh, falls apart. But that was a political decision. I'll explain why. Because after the Battle of Kosovo, which we didn't lose militarily, but we lost in terms of the population. Uh, I mean, Ottoman Empire was much bigger, so they overwhelmed us in the uh, preceding uh, decades. The problem was that the judgment of despot Stefan Lazarevic, then the ruler of Serbia, was that the bigger threat for the Serbia was the Hungarian King Sigismund, than the Turks. So he made a certain sort of pact. He was a vassal of the Turkish Empire at that time because uh, maybe justfully he decided that uh, the Turks are the less threat for a Serbian state than the Sigismund and the Catholic side. That tradition pertained in the future too because there is a difference. We have a saying not that I'm adoring Turkish Empire, far from that, but Turks were different. They will take your taxes, they will treat the population poor, but they wouldn't mix in the religious questions of the Orthodox Church. Yeah. They will let you do your own religious things, thus saying what you are. Now, the Catholics, as was also growing as an, and the, the Vatican and the Catholics as was also growing as an imperial force of Europe, 
was focused on conversion, was focused on changing your mind, teaching you how to think, recalibrating your mind. So uh, that is the reason why he said to the patriarch not to go there. But anyways, we had 700 Greeks, so uh, no one noticed the lack of Serbian delegation. <laughs> I'll, never yeah. I'll never understand why 700 Greeks delegates went to Ferrara and Florence. That's an overkill. Yeah. Well, the 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 the, the point the point that the let's say the Byzantine Empire did uh, they had they they also had this uh, their political agenda. I mean their religious agenda. With the Christianity, and then their main objective was to keep Christianity split. And uh, they saw the main enemy uh, was Vatican, the Rome, and so they did anything to to keep <laughs> to keep as much Christians out uh, from contact with Rome. So we have this famous uh, Medjugorje case. The start of the Medjugorje case is basically an event. When you have this one province of, of, of uh, religious order of uh, friars in, let's say, in Herzegovina, that cut a deal with uh, with the Turks, so they say, okay, we won't we won't be meddling in your religious affairs. You can you can have your monasteries. We'll give you all all the things that you had before. Just pay the taxes. Just cut the ties. Cut the ties with the Pope. And well, <laughs> we are kind of still having some consequences here. Was you know. it the Pope or was it the bishop? Wasn't it the local bishop that they had to break with? The, the, you, uh, the, there was no local bishop. If, you, if, the, if the local Catholic bishop was by default had to be, had to pledge alliance to, to the Pope. And then automatically meant uh, that he was exiled. You, you, for being a Catholic uh, loyal to Rome, you had you could either go totally underground, or you had to go in exile. And uh, the Franciscans did a deal, and they said, "No, no, no, we are not, we are not, you know, we will cut, we will cut ties with the Pope." But we, they were tolerated, just like every Eastern Church. So after, let's say, after the the Council in in Ferrara, and that's and uh, in, in Florence, uh, is basically what, what I see that is the problem. That I see one of the biggest problems in, let's say, in the Eastern churches was this relation, this, this, uh, let's say, uh, this former, former, former experience being always an imperial, imperial church. Uh, so, emperor was always a protector of the orthodoxy, and he was appointing the patriarchs and the bishops. It was from from its inception. It was this. Let's say Holy Roman Empire, but an Eastern version, in which the emperor has this oversight, and he's, let's say, in the in the pyramid, he's something like a bishop there. And so the question is, the, the question that that was posed uh, by the history itself was, well, what if the emperor loses the war and becomes Muslim? Then what? <laughs> that exact question. Uh, let's say the Orthodox Church had to answer when uh, when uh, this uh, the Muslim leader uh, crashed uh, the walls of Constantinople and conquered the city. So it was uh, where it was. It was Mehmed II, the conqueror. It was 4053. So basically, the the the, 
the sultan enters the city, you know, the rubbles, there's still smoke going out of the rubbles, and there is a, there is a process, procession, you know. He's appointing a new patriarch, the sultan. And who he chooses, the, the biggest, let's say, the, the biggest enemy of the Western Church was Mark of Ephesus. And his most, most fearsome student was this uh, Gennadius, or what is his name. And Sultan, of course, picks the guy that will be the most anti-West candidate, candidate available. So there is basically a couple of days after the Constantinople has fallen, you have this big religious procession, and you have uh, Mehmed II uh, saying something like this, uh, by the power of the Trinity, given to me by my position as uh, emperor of the Roman Empire, I'll give, I'm giving you this cross. And he gives this seat to the, to the, to the future uh, patriarch, and he like nods and accepts it. And this, this is going on for centuries. You know, <laughs> like the emperor that is basically a Muslim sultan gives the robes and, and the cross to, to, to the patriarch. It's, it's unimaginable in the, in the Western world. I mean, the, 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 the relation between the church, the, the, the high church and the empire was, they were digging holes in the ground and hiding just not to be found, you know. So in, uh, in, in the have, West, there was always have, a struggle between the emperor and the pope. Uh, that's right. The pope, right. the pope Here. was the pope was a temporal ruler as well. So he had he was a, a king of the papal states, and, and ruled them. But I mean, you have the famous example in the West of Barbarossa, uh, Frederick Barbarossa, uh, standing barefoot in the snow at Canossa uh, uh, as a tribute to the pope as as the spiritual power. This, this conflict uh, uh, or this dispute uh, or this uh, difficulty came all the way up to the present, uh, basically, because during the Second Vatican Council, one of the biggest debates was the debate over Dignitatis Humanae, uh, which was uh, the debate over whether we should have a, an established religion uh, or whether we should co concede some type of uh, uh, other type of solution. The main, the main solution that was being proposed was the separation of church and state. Uh, this was being proposed because there was, uh, the CIA was involved in trying to subvert the council, and they were using a man by the name of John Courtney Murray, a Jesuit, uh, who was basically a, uh, a close friend of Harry Luce, who was the head of Time Life, uh, uh, Time Magazine, and Time Magazine at that point was the propaganda ministry for the CIA. So the CIA tried to tr subvert the whole pr uh, understanding of the established church uh, by creating the separation of church and state. But uh, even at this point, the, the idea uh, of uh, the emperor as the head of the church uh, didn't exist. It didn't exist. The problem here is the problem here is the exact opposite problem in the West, where you have yeah. where you have basically uh, the church has been so weakened. The problem is the problem that, that, is that, that, that is, they can't that the church cannot defend the the moral order. That that the, was the problem in the United States of America. The church was so weakened because of and a de facto acceptance of the separation of church and state that the whole moral order collapsed because they weren't there to defend it.
The same there thing. Is, what what are you saying is 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 actually uh, let's say a bit Byzantine. You don't have an established church. I mean, the church approves the state. It's, it's not the other way around. Because uh, the question is, who has the moral authority? Who is the who is the sayer? Who is making a distinction? What's good? What's wrong? Uh, I remember reading. Uh, there was some council when when uh, when Pope called for crusades, something like that. You have this all these paragraphs about calling him calling for, for crusades, and on the same council, he kind of throws out of the church some uh, French king because he was not he was unfaithful to his wife, something like that. <laughs> so you you don't have an established church. It's not not uh, let's say political decision to, to establish a church. You have a moral authority. That kind of you have, and then you have princes, and the moral authority's job is to say, well, that that prince is moral, that that guy is not. So it's it's the other way around. It should be the other way around, you know. Well, uh, let me add, uh, please. Uh, our tradition, Eastern tradition, is a little bit different. Uh, we believe in the so-called. This is very important. Symphony of the church and state. And that is not a matter of power, or at least in theory, shouldn't be a matter of power that the church and the state apparatus compete, or the patriarch and the emperor competes. Rather, it's like a fine-tuned apparatus that fulfills each other. The, the, the state is supposed to take care of the secular, things and the uh, church is taking care of the spiritual needs of the um, both laity population. So that's our tradition. What happened in Catholicism is that uh, the church became imperial itself, devoided of a state. Uh, why I'm saying this? Because we have cases of Vatican being a military power in the Middle Ages. Uh, let's talk, let's remember the uh, uh, obliteration of the Qatars in the 30th century, the Cambrian Wars of the 1503, when the Vatican was in war with Venice and few other states in Italy and uh, many other things. Uh, by the way, uh, besides having the army or hiring the armies, the Vatican has a bank, and the Vatican today has a secret service, SVS. I, the, I have to... I Vatican have to press a secret bit. service, which is, uh, to us Easterners, unconceivable, to be honest. Let me intervene here. Uh, what, I, what I saw, what uh, the crucial moment uh, uh, that uh, led to the rupture between the East and the West, between the Orthodox and the Catholic, I think was the war in the Balkans. And I think that uh, Medjugorje played a, played a role in that war uh, because Medjugorje stoked Croatian nationalism and Croatian nationalism was instrumentalized by, weaponized by the, the West uh, to break up Yugoslavia. The first country to recognize, uh, first country to recognize Croatia, an independent Croatia, was 
the Vatican, as far as I remember. Germany and the Vatican were the first two Germany countries. And the Vatican. Germany uh, and the actually, Vatican. Actually, you're both wrong. The first <laughs> Western okay. country, the first Western country to recognize Croatia, that was not Slovenia, that was also breaking up from Yugoslavia, was Iceland. Iceland. Oh, really? uh, but, now uh, we okay. have to factor Iceland into this equation. <laughs> Iceland. Iceland. Viking pirates, Viking pirates abducting Irish women and taking them off to <laughs> at, at a crucial role in history. Do you know but, why wait, wait, wait a minute. Let me get back to the point. The point here is okay. that, I, as I understand it, the Orthodox were mortally offended by this intervention into the uh, Yugoslavian politics, and it basically Medjugorje, in a sense, ended whatever. Uh, rapprochement there was between the Orthodox and the Catholics at that point. In other words, meddling I, in politics. I, I think that that's nonsense. I think that uh, what, what happened, what, are we talking about this, uh, first to go back to the Alexander's uh, uh, point. So the the Western, Western uh, part of the Roman Empire was integrated in like a million kingdoms. You never had this uh, situation like you had in the East for a thousand years. This is one big, huge, homogeneous empire that you have one emperor and that he appoints the, he appoints the, the patriarch. The, you always had it in the East. You never had it in the West. You always in the West, there, there was always uh, like a dozen of kings and there always some kind of king making and always some kind of politics. And the church did have its own possessions. I mean, the Vatican because he had uh, he had to you know pay the bills and be be economically viable, and they did not have a bank. They did have a uh, later. They did have no, no this, one had uh, a bank at that nowadays, point. Nowadays, okay, nowadays. back to back, back to Yugoslavia. Why Yugoslavia broke up? Well, Yugoslavia broke up because uh, let's say Milosevic was installed in in the let's say the revolution that was called the yogurt revolution or anti bureaucratic revolution was the revolution that brought. Mr. Milosevic in power, and he had his own plans. You know, he 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 let he let Slovenia basically go with some some ridiculous two-day war with uh, some some uh, it's called operate war in Croatia. He let uh, Macedonia go, and he wanted you know to play a bit with uh, with the boundaries. Uh, he wanted uh, his his people to have uh, some some kind of uh, country that he thought they deserve and stuff. So basically, I think that the Americans have uh, had uh, was Americans were the main players. I think that brought Milosevic into power, and it was uh, everything was like uh, <laughs> self fulfilling prophecy from the moment he was installed. May I say something, please? Yeah. Say. My view is a little bit different, but uh, that's right. There, there are some things about Milosevic. He was a banker. He was a chief of the first Yugo-American bank that was established in the 80s. And he even met Richard Holbrook in 1988 in Boston. And we don't know enough about that. Not yet. Not true book was written about that. We get still pieces here and there. But going back to the destruction of Yugoslavia, I think that uh, Yugoslavia was an exemplary model of destroying the Versailles Treaty and the Versailles regime in Europe that was established also with the creation of Yugoslavia and Czechoslovakia back in 1918. Someone decided 
probably the international oligarchs that it was time to get rid of the Versailles uh, order in Europe. And uh, uh, they simply caused the war in Yugoslavia. Why I'm saying this? Because first notion of the possibility of the civil war in Yugoslavia was publicly stated by Zbigniew Brzezinski in Helsinki. There was a conference in Helsinki in 1979 when he first time mentioned the possibility of the destruction of Yugoslavia. Same thing happened to Soviet well, Union in uh, 1979. Yeah. This is the uh, year, this is a year he he lured uh, the Russians into Afghanistan. It's right around the same yeah, time he did exactly, that. Exactly. Exactly. Best year of his life, probably. Yeah, well, and uh, also um, uh, uh, the European Union was also planned since the 50s. Actually, in the 50s, there was a first uh, agreements made that will lead later to the creation of European Union. Now, if you want to make such a magnanimous uh, political change on one continent, I think that uh, and I'm talking this about Americans. I think that you have to fear a little bit nations of Europe, other nations, to be quiet, to listen, to obey. Otherwise, you'll end up like Yugoslavia. I think, I think what, what I think, uh, so Milosevic, why he was installed? He was installed in a way to, to keep Yugoslavia, let's say, uh, to make Yugoslavia more centralized in order to... to, to to be more uh, easily exploited or invested in, whatever is the, your perspective. So he, he <laughs> they, they planted him like he was an American guy that uh, that had to bring. There was a, that, that, in fact, there is an article in New York Times in the 80s uh, explaining to us why why Milosevic is a good choice for leading for leading Yugoslavia because he is this young force. He is this young force that uh, that promised to, to you know to go through with this sorely needed economic reforms because America has invested a lot in Yugoslavia, something like that. But so that they, was the program, you remember? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So he was he was like this. Uh, this Markovic was a was an economic reformer, and Milosevic was the political guy that will hold his back. But you know. Did not run, did not go as planned, and the things broke up. So, but that's basically the story of. I don't think that the well, Americans was it was it the war in Ser was it the war in Serbia to to destroy the last outpost of the Soviet Union or the so of Russia in in the in uh, Western Europe. Yugoslavia broke with the Russia in the forties. Yugoslavia. I understand, I understand that, but I'm saying Serbia traditionally had uh, because of its orthodox. Faith yeah. had traditional ties uh, ties with with with, with Russia it's in the same yeah. way that Croatia had tra traditionally had ties with Germany and so even was Putin is saying that also and many other uh, Russian officials yeah that, that to me a jolt against people. Serbia is a jolt against Russia always been throughout history so it was <laughs> part of the plot against Russia. Uh, that, no, that, exactly. that the breakup of Russia <laughs> began with the the destruction of Serbia, and now nowadays many Russians officials are blaming themselves, saying we didn't defend Serbia in the 90s. Now we have NATO on our borders. 
First of all, Yugoslavia was a Russian state. Okay, uh, this was not. This is not very. Uh, let's say discussion about the orthodoxy, but okay, it kind of connects. But uh, Yugoslavia was a NATO member. It signed in uh, 1953 the Balkan Pact. It was a pact of mutual defense between Yugoslavia and two NATO countries. Okay, we had this enormous military aid that maybe I think only Israel gets. You you get you have this this uh, I remember big miss I remember all of this equipment went through the port of Rijeka and Rijeka because of that became uh, like a leading uh, merchant port here in this part of the sea. For example, you have this you can check it out in the literature. You have this uh, American main tank main battle tank. I think it's called Jackson or something like that. Abrams. It's, what? Abrams. After 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 Abrams. I think it's. Uh, I don't know, Jackson or something like that. And uh, American army gets it, and six months after it's introduced into the American military, Yugoslavia gets like 400 of them. Huh. It's, it's unbelievable. We, have, we, have, like, we, have, we got something like 1,000 jet fighters. It's, when, when are you talking about now? What year are we talking about? Uh, we are talking about the 50s, 53. 1953 was, this, uh, was uh, the Balkan Pact that was mutual defense pact against the Soviet Union, basically. I mean, uh, Milosevic, <laughs> he drinks cocktails in Chase Manhattan Bank with, with, with Rothschild and Rockefeller. I mean, for God's sake, what kind of Russians oh, do you that's think? A, that's that a phony photo. That wasn't, I know what you're referring to. That okay. wasn't David Rockefeller on that photo. We discussed that last time, I think. Okay, okay. It was the, this photo. This photo is a, is a part of this uh, Borka Vucic private archive, and I don't think that Borka Vucic uh, like doctored her own private archive photos. There I is mean, a Photoshop. Okay. Photoshop. Are you are you denying? Are you denying that uh, Slobodan Milosevic and David Rockefeller uh, had uh, business negotiations in Chase Manhattan Bank? I'm not denying. I'm not approving. I don't know that. You know uh, Sava Center in Belgrade? Like like many people don't. Yeah. What about yeah. it? You know, don't know you don't know uh, where the money came from to, to build it? Uh, no. This was Chase Manhattan Bank. Okay, okay. never mind. Uh, the we have you had like million oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. Mike, Mike, wait a minute. Okay. Did you did you, did you can you could you buy I mean in the let's say in this Cold War, could you buy a Lada Niva in, in the United States of America? No. It's a Russian car. No, no. Could you buy uh, Yugo in the United States of America? Yes. And why is that if, if Yugoslavia was on the other side of the block? Well, my understanding was that they were uh, neutral. And, and that, yeah. that, that yeah, Tito was the leader of the third world, along with people like Nehru and Dairere in Tanzania and people like that. Yeah. This is the impression that we had over here. I, I okay, if they're neutral, what, what are all these tanks and, and fighter jets doing here? I don't know. This is the first time I heard about this. I didn't know about it. Nobody yeah. over here knew I, about that. Well, I was in my military service a long time ago in Rijeka. I was using the American cannon, 155 millimeter American six-ton heavy cannon. Also, in the 80s, we had uh, in the port of Rijeka, a big American battleship came. And there were like hundreds of sailors milling throughout Rijeka, American sailors, you know. So Tony is right about certain things, you know. We were the secret 
Okay, uh, just a member of NATO, just like Spain was a secret member of NATO on the right wing specter in Europe, Yugoslavia was a secret uh, or discreet NATO member on the leftist specter. Okay, why did so, why did the United States turn against Yugoslavia then? Because they turned against Milosevic because Milosevic, uh, Milosevic did not play along. Over. Yeah, I think my my theory is that uh, did not turn around against Yugoslavia. Basically, the United States was the last Western country to recognize the the countries that broke up from Yugoslavia. Russia recognized Croatia before America did. Iran yeah. recognized Croatia before America did. Yeah, yeah. yeah America, but this... America was 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 uh, waiting for their guy. Like <laughs> they were, first of all, they were shocked because. The Milosevic's mandate was not <laughs> to to break up Yugoslavia; it was to Yeltsinize Yugoslavia, like to keep it, to keep it, uh, to keep it in one piece, and like to 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 go through with all these economic reforms to like Westernize the country, to, in to integrate it in the let's say the Western economic system. And instead of doing it, he kind of wrecked it. <laughs> Tony, Tony, like, Tony, which country? was the most vocal and most insisting on destroying Yugoslavia in Europe at that time. What, what do you mean by this, to destroying Yugoslavia? I mean... The, 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 to support the, the war to support Germany. The, the, Germany. Uh, it was Germany. <laughs> I Germany think... Uh, especially I think anything without the consent of the United States. In Germany today, you still have a military basis where a German cannot put their foot on. Let's not kid ourselves. Americans uh, the, at that the, time the, being the nice guys up. and they were pushing other countries to do the dirty okay. job. Uh, the break the breakup of uh, of you let's say let's say the aftermath, the after the, the, the things that came about after the breakup of Yugoslavia were the were the let's say were the first cracks into the uh, German-American alliance. This this was this was like the first crack. And by the way, the breakup of Yugoslavia was, was very much in the Russian interest, because up to the break of Yugoslavia, you had one big uh, NATO member that's uh, let's say uh, that's comprised of many nations that is not really Russian-loving. And after the breakup of Yugoslavia, you have this uh, let's say this Western West of the country. And you have this Orthodox Eastern Republics. So kind of you had this one big enemy and now you have one small friend <laughs> that's like uh, in very close to the, let's say, to the west of the Europe. So uh, that's why Russia recognized basically Croatia and Slovenia much sooner than America did. You know? There was never a crack in the 90s in the relationship between Germany and America. It was impossible. Now, wait, wait, America, wait, 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 there is far. this. There is there there is a big split right now between Germany right and now, the United yeah, States. The main the main issue the main issue is the Nord Stream oil pipeline uh, bringing gas into Germany from Russia. the the whole yeah. The whole goal of Anglo American foreign policy was to break up any type of uh, alliance between Germany and Russia because that would allow them to unify the Eurasian landmass. And once you, once Germany had that. That uh, that expansion room to the east, uh, the British Navy couldn't blockade their ports, and so they couldn't starve them to death, which is what they did after after World War One. 
So there, yeah. there was this conflict, and it's, it's there today. It's, it's there today, right now. It was submerged. It came, it's going to come out again because the United States State Department will never allow, if they have the power, Germany to have a, 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 a gas, natural gas pipeline with Russia. It goes against everything that this country's di di diplomatic establishment stands for. But wait, wait, wait a minute. We we have now reached we reached an hour point here, and I'm just the question I have is, did did the the last thing we talked about have anything to do with the first thing that we talked about, or did this whole Orthodox Catholic split in the Balkans just get submerged into geopolitics and had nothing to do with it? Uh, yes, it it has to do with it because. Uh, let's say what's uh, conservatism in politics, uh, that's Russia in geopolitics. So basically, you have this, uh, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I would not call it uh, like controlled opposition, but you get the idea. Okay. Yeah. What do you think, I, Alexander? I would, well, I would recommend actually going back a little bit. Uh, this is interesting. A new book by Bob, Bob Bayer that I didn't have a chance to read, but I read a review of that book. In that book, he's uh, uh, dis describing how he was bribing Croatian politician uh, Stipe Mesic and Serbian uh, army general Perisic with lots of cash, practically bags of cash. And he's apologizing to all the people, especially Serbians, because he didn't know what he was doing at the time. So much about the breakup of Yugoslavia. Now, that, that bribing happened in the eve of the civil war in Yugoslavia. Uh, uh, what, what's the, what was the other question, please, Mr. Johnson? How, how it, uh, do, I have a question. Do you know what, who was the uh, Russian patriarch when the Bolshevik Revolution started? Uh, this, is okay. a, this is a trick question, isn't it? Yeah, it's a trick question because okay. Russia did not have a patriarch when the Bolshevik Revolution started. Peter I, Petr I, or Peter the Great, I guess, abolished the, the seat of the patriarch because basically he was King David. He does not need a patriarch because, you know, he's a Tsar. And yeah. he and the uh, and the Russian Orthodox Church is basically an office in the building of the imperial administration. I think the, the things have not changed much. So you have uh, basically the same the same problem, uh, the same problem history brought to the to the Constantinople, bringing it now to Moscow, because to the Constantinople you get a situation when the Muslim uh, is the is the is the big uh, tsar. And he's appointing uh, Eastern Patriarch. And now you have in Russia the situation, the possibility of a situation when a Bolshevik will be a Tsar and he will basically be a head of the Russian Orthodox Church. So while, so while, while the Bolsheviks are fighting, you know, the, the police and the, and the Russian Empire is collapsing, I think that the, the, the Emperor is deposed, you have some ad hoc council and in the same year <laughs> that, that the guy is deposed, they elect like some guy just to prevent this from happening again in history. The, so I, the, the, prob the problem I see in the church right now is that uh, the Pope is now representing the position of the oligarchs. 
Uh, every initiative I see coming out of Rome is basically uh, uh, an olig a validation of oligarchic rule. So it's a complete capitulation of the role of Pope as standing up to, to the emperor, the new emperor, which is the, 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 the tech giants. The, just to give you one example, uh, they're, they're having a conference on COVID in the Vatican, and they, they invited Anthony Fauci. Uh, why would you do something well, like that? Why would you do something? Like that? It's a complete capitulation to political power. I see it, okay. uh, on this uh, man. On the on the other hand, on the other hand, the Pope went to Iraq and nobody covered it. I mean, you have some one minute coverage of it on the mainstream media. This, so he's this, not. This he's was, not like this, was a, this was a, a tactical mistake. I'm sorry, the Pope should have gone to Iran. Okay, yeah. Iraq is a vassal state of the of the empire. Okay, but I I was Which there. I yeah. of the American yeah. Empire. No, the American. But that was the cunning of reason. Basically, the 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 neocons, the Jews, persuaded Bush to invade Iraq, and they brought about the exact opposite of what they intended because they created the Shia crescent because the Shia were put in power because of uh, the removal of Saddam Hussein. And then they had they could ship arms all the way to uh, Hezbollah uh, and then uh, the Palestinians. But, but what, what I, when I was there in Iran, the people were asking me if the Pope would go to Iran. Now, that would have been a significant event. Not going, Iraq was meaningless. And I kept, I, I, I kept saying to them, uh, uh, or kept talking to people saying, would he do this? Well, he didn't do it. Because he doesn't know, he, he's badly advised. Let me put it as diplomatically as possible. I think the Jesuits are running the church right now. I think the Pope is a Jesuit. He's badly advised. And basically the church has completely capitulated to, to oligarchic rule at this point and is not providing the leadership that it needs to provide. I think that the Pope is infallible. What? Say, say that again. Isn't Pope infallible? Yes, he's infallible. <laughs> I Except, think the, the did, did you know? The did, did you know? That, hard. By the way, did <laughs> you went... know that they're going? That that they're arming the the uh, the Swiss guards with tranquilizer guns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I, yeah. I, I, I know. I've said this too many oh, times. Yeah. So he's good, he's only infallible on airplanes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's well, let's I... let's let's wrap this up. Let's wrap this up. Okay. Tony and then Alexander. Tony. How to wrap this up? I mean, <laughs> the the okay the the I think the 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 influence of the oligarchy is is obviously a major one. I mean, and it's it's uh, visiting Iran is basically you you a bit contradicted yourself. It's Iraq now uh, like uh, in Iranian friendly country or it's American friendly country? I, I did not it get was, it. It was conquered. That's it was conquered by America. And the paradoxical result of that was the empowerment of the Shia in Iraq. Okay. So it's kind of both at the same time. Okay, I think I think that visiting Iran is as is the most uh, anti-establishment thing that he can manage. I think to visit Iran it would be like an overkill. But I mean, like the, this Pope and its administration are nav navigating this uh, as as good as they can. But on the other hand, the, the, in, the, in the Eastern, let's say in the Eastern tradition, uh, the default position is to be uh, an office in the building of an imperial administration. I mean, it's, it's not that <laughs> they have, to, they have to, to navigate it. They are just doing it. Uh, I, was reading the, I was reading these uh, memoirs 
of the guy that founded the CIA office in Belgrade. Uh, Newsweek even translate, translated some parts of it. And one, and there is an interesting thing. The American version uh, has one chapter that the translated version has not. It's basically the only, the only part of the CIA guy memoirs that, that, they, that they redacted or censored. Uh, was the event of uh, electing, about, around electing the Serb Patriarch in the 50s. Uh, so the story goes, uh, the, the CIA guy called uh, uh, Charles Morton English from Vermont. He, he is the guy writing the, the memoirs. And he's writing something that in, in lines that uh, the guys in Langley really want to know who will be the next Patriarch and they are cheering for some guy. And he has to make a prediction. And in the moment, he is already, the 48, the, the, the Tito-Stalin split has already happened. And uh, he's the guy, this Morton English guy, is preparing uh, at the same time uh, the agreement between UDBA and CAA that is signed by Velebits from the Yugoslav side and some uh, German guy or German uh, uh, last name guy from the CIA side. General. Something like that. Okay, and uh, the part that is redacted is that uh, he basically makes a minor mistake because the Orthodox don't really want to uh, don't really want to pick his guy. They want to pick some other guy, and so the Udba to to help his new their new American friends arrests the guy that that should have been elected. And so this American pig gets selected, and uh, he ends the the paragraph in something with the word something. Okay, just Tito maybe helped me a little bit to to you know to be successful in front of my bosses in language something something along that lines. And that's the only part that was redacted for the from the guy's memoirs, and he's yeah. like the CIA okay. here. Right. That, that happened probably with, when my great grandfather, patriarch of Serbia was poisoned in 1950, most likely by the Udba, Tito's police. Oh. And they installed that patriarch Vikentie, who wasn't a great bishop at all, you know, he was a meek... Uh, That's right, I think it's Vikentie guy, it must Vikentia. be the 50s. Although he wasn't such a bad patriarch, he was better patriarch under the circumstances than he was a bishop. That, that's the interesting thing about him. And what you have a one million dollar picture, I mean one million dollar photograph uh, of a uh, newly elected patriarch playing yeah. tennis or badminton with the American, with the wife of the American ambassador and the American residence in Belgrade in 1950s. Because the American ambassador residence was the house next by, was the, the, they were the first neighbors, you know, this, <laughs> this Vikentia guy. And uh -huh. the American American uh, amb amb ambassador's residence, and you you have him pictures playing tennis in the in the let's say in the in the courtyard of the and that's that's well, it's not like uh, maybe like inviting Fauci, but it's 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 worse in my opinion. I mean, to 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 to, I think that uh, what's coming what's what's going on in the West is to is to present the Eastern churches. As some kind of uh, of opposition, it's not a genuine opposition. It's conservatism. I know, you know, it's 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 opposition that is. 
Well, not that's, too far. That's a so subject for, for Mike. When you say when you say to the polls, when Mike, when you are talking to the when you are giving advice to the polls, like ditch the EU and and, uh, and deal and get a deal with the Russians, I think that's not 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 a smart advice. What did I what did I do what did what did, what did I do? I'm not I'm not talking about you specifically, but you mean giving uh, advice to the Pope? To the Poles, Poles, to the Poland. Oh, the Poles, Poles. Yeah, to the Poles. Like telling them to, to ditch the EU and, and, and uh, make a deal with Russia. I don't, well, don't think that... I'm not sure I said ditch the EU. I said they should never have joined NATO, but I mean, I don't know whether they had any no. choice in the matter. Na joining NATO was a disaster for Poland. Uh, well, uh, it's it almost as bad, <laughs> almost as bad as Estonia. Estonia joined NATO. This is ridiculous. I told those people, this is ridiculous. Do you think NATO's going to die for, for Tallinn? You, they didn't die for Dunst, for Gdansk. They didn't die for Danzig. They're not going to die for Tallinn. You will die uh, as a, a, a little pebble on the road as the Russian tanks roll over your country, if it comes to that. What are the Russian tanks? Alexander, can, I, can you answer me a question? Do you think that uh, Putin controls uh, like the banking sector and uh, anything, basically anything out of the security apparatus. Does he control think, the bank? I think he, he uh, the he, Jeffrey Sachs, Jeffrey Sachs was there with Yeltsin. He, he, he made the oligarchs. Jeffrey Sachs orchestrated the looting of Russia. The money went into the hands of eight rich Jews who then sent the money to Wall Street and then they made a lot of money over there. And uh, it was a catastrophe for Russia. They actually had more people dying during this period of time than they had been born. And so uh, the result was someone had to take control back, and Putin did it by taming, taming the oligarchs. He didn't get rid of them, but he, he tamed them. Some of them left, and some of them are now under his control. And uh, that's, that's the way it is. That's the way I, it don't is. Think, I don't think he tamed them enough. There are, well, there, are lots of, there are lots of Russians who feel the same way you do. There are lots of Russians who feel that he's a pawn of the of the oligarchs who stayed. Uh, but you know, I don't whether it is or it isn't. That's that's, that's uh, the, the problem is. is with the Russian. The key problem is the Russian national bank, like Feds. In that's, right. that's right. That's uh, right. You're right. They they are under the control of the bank of transfers and transactions in Basel. That's right. They're right. not under the auspices of the Russian state. So this, and I could talk about that. That's right. And we could talk about that. And, and, but but we, we have to save, we'll have to save that for another show. This whole thing, okay. this whole thing, may, show. This whole thing may become uh, moot because if there's a war uh, with the Ukraine, if the Ukraine joins NATO, Russia will invade the Ukraine. And that may be the end of... Uh, that'll maybe a whole new era. But anyway, but let's not right. talk about that. I want to thank you guys for participating in this discussion. I learned a lot. Uh, I, I have a lot to learn. <laughs> but uh, yeah. it was great, and uh, I hope we can continue it sometime in the future. So thanks. Thanks sure. for being there. Thanks for everyone for watching. Bye-bye. Okay. Take care. Bye.